champion. I the champion. Who's the champion? We the champion. I the champion. Who's the champion? We the champion. I the champion. Who's the champion? We the champion. I the champion. Foundation lane, we paved the way. Remain solid when most just fade away. Drop knowledge, no college is day to day. Narration of what we facing around the way. And this the one ton champion. Big said dog, can't they get the job done? Forever ready if there's ever a problem. Haters don't want none till I'm moving caution. You could never stop one and when you see me pop one, you could predict the outcome. Hands raised, I'm the champion. It ain't a riddle, we never play in the middle. We spit it, you feel a little hesitation. You're so brittle, ready to break. Listen, concentrate like a dabbing out, slapping out. Take another of the wedding cake, vibe it out. Dr. Green Thumb, I prescribe it out. Competition, wipe them out. Fastball, strike them out. Who's the champion? We the champion. I the Show me the stage, we came to work. Talk to hit them where it hurts. Champions coming first. Cause we don't know no second place. I'm the one that set the pace. One and elevate. Celebrate, we've been winning so long. Maintain so strong, others couldn't hold on. But this, that almighty Cypress Hill. Stop, I hate it real quick. Evacuate the building. Evacuate the children, we bringing down the ceiling. You comprehend the feeling. Champions winning, but it's only the beginning. You're still stung. I'm running game, the unsung. Get it done, get it won. Top guns, top notch, top heavy. Ready to pop heavy. Ready to rock steady. We're so deadly. Who's the champion sound? Boy, you're looking at him. Listen to him. Drinking witches brew and spitting venom. Who's the champion? We the champion. I the champion. We're the champion sound. Who's the champion? We the champion. I the champion. We're the champion sound. Who's the champion? We the champion. I the champion. We're the champion sound. Who's the champion? We the champion. I the champion. We're the champion sound. What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to the recap of AEW All Out 2022. Uh, I apologize for this uh, episode coming out a little late. Uh, originally, I was supposed to have um, some special guests on the show to um, join me for this recap. In fact, two gentlemen who used to be the uh, the flag bearers for All Elite Wrestling here on the Booch cast, uh, Elvis Delinsky and Desmond Dagenhart was supposed to join me for this particular recap. I went to Desmond's house. We watched all out. Originally, we were going to do the recap afterwards, but then Elvis said he was going to be showing up to play D&D. So we figured, hey, when he gets here, let's do the podcast and then play D&D. But of course, like every other fucking time we try to plan something, D&D always seems to get in the fucking way. So we wound up playing D&D and then everybody had to leave and go their separate ways. So surprise, surprise. Surprise! Vinny's here all by his lonesome. He's all by himself. 
for all out. So we're gonna go all out because I'm gonna have some shit to say and the best part is no one's here to cut me off. So you are getting Vinny Bucci's opinion and only Vinny Bucci's opinion because the other guys couldn't be bothered to uh, take time out of their schedule to do this. So if they got a problem with my opinions, they got no one to blame but themselves because I gave them a chance to show theirs and they turned it down, metaphorically. So ladies and gentlemen, we're gonna kick things off with our first official match of the evening god help us all the casino ladder match with the winner to get a future shot at the AEW world heavyweight championship and this match consisted of wheeler useless ray phoenix pentagon jr claudio castanoli dante martin roosh and andrade el idiot as well as a mystery joker now, this match, ladies and gentlemen, was the shitty. It was very much the shitty. I mean, there were some insane spots, which is to be expected in a ladder match. It's basically, anytime you got a ladder match with multiple people in it, it's going to be a spot fest. And you know that going in. You know going in, you're not going to see a wrestling match. You're going to see a stunt show. And that's exactly what this was. But what bothered me was the fact that the lack of psychology was completely off the fucking rails in this match. Especially when Roos showed up, taking out everybody. Then all of a sudden, Andrade gets into the ring. He fist bumps with Roosh, saying, okay, we're on the same page. And Roosh is basically here to help Andrade El Idiot get a title shot that he does not deserve on this planet or any other. They set the ladder up. And it's like, okay, he's going to climb up the ladder and grab this chip. Nope. Instead, he builds a bridge with the other ladder and the ropes. And then what do they do? What do these fuckers do? They go outside the ring and proceed to beat the shit out of Ray Phoenix and Wheeler Useless. Even though both men were unconscious, Andrade's in the ring with his tag team partner who has no intention of stabbing him in the back. He is not embracing the concept of every man for himself. All Andrade had to do was climb up the ladder. Now, some people might be saying, well, Booch, what if they get up and try to get into the ring? That's why Roosh is there. He can knock them off the apron or pull the guy down. Andrade could have easily won this match if this was a real fight amongst real people. And that's exactly what wrestling is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be a goddamn stunt show or the fucking circus, which we'll get to in a minute. The purpose of professional wrestling is to make people believe in what they're seeing. That what I am seeing is a fight between people who either A, don't like each other, or B, respect each other, but still want to win. The concept of wrestling is to try to win, not lose. Whatever you do in that wrestling ring, you are supposed to paint the picture that you are trying to win and not lose. It is not about getting to the hope spot or the heat spot or the, the fucking flip dive out of the ring or, oh, we got to do this. No, your job is to try to win. And if what you're doing in the ring is not a clear indication that you're trying to win a match, but instead you're just trying to put on a show, then there's nothing real about what you're doing, regardless of whatever pain you're feeling. And that was the biggest problem in this match. No one was trying to win, except maybe Claudio. Claudio might have been the only person in this match actually trying to win. Everyone else was just trying to come up with their next great spot. What can I do through the ladder or through the table that's going to make the crowd go, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. Because that's all these 
fucking idiots care about. That's all they care about. They're creating a moment without any emotion behind it that people are gonna forget in a fucking week. Y'all are gonna remember this in a week. Meanwhile, you're still walking around with the pain or God forbid the injury from that stupid spot. You're not gonna forget it because you're gonna be limping for three days. And you're lucky if you'll make it to fucking TV. This whole match was fucking stupid. And the worst part is, right when it's about time for the Joker to make his entrance, a bunch of masked guys come out, beat the shit out of everyone. One guy climbs up and grabs the chip. He then pulls the mask off and reveals that it's Stokely Hathaway. And it turns out all the other masked guys are Lee Moriarty, The Gun Club, or as we know them as the Ass Boys, and Big Cass. I know his name is W. Moriarty or whatever the fuck his name is. I'm calling him Big Cass because I'm just not going to be able to pronounce that. So I'm just going to call him Big Cass. If the AEW fans have a problem with that, blow me. But there's Big Cass, there's fucking the Ass Boys, and Lee Moriarty, and then the Joker, who's wearing a demon mask, walks to the ring, Hathaway hands in the chip, and the match is over because it's whoever is retrieving the chip. And we've seen loophole that before where the belt fell off the, the, the case, but two people dove for it. One guy grabbed it first and he got the win. Or when um, Scrappy-Doo or James Ellsworth grabbed that briefcase and dropped it into Carmella's hands and Carmella automatically won the money in the bank. Yeah, it was fucking stupid, but according to the rules, it was legal. So the Joker has won the match. He goes to take the mask off, but then he goes, ah, 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 and walks away. So now we're left believing who the fuck is this Joker. Now, obviously, before you all start commenting, I know obviously we find out who the Joker is later in the night. But the purpose of these recaps is to go match by match by match. So even though I know who the Joker is, we're not going to talk about that till we get to later in the show. So I'm only going to talk about this particular match. And this particular match was fucking awful. Terrible. From top to bottom. No one shined in this match except the Joker that we didn't even know about. And we were probably going to have to find out on Dynamite who it was. Or so we thought at the time. So, yeah. Waste of fucking time. This is the, this was a stupid thing to do. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. Thankfully, we're getting this out of the way so we can enjoy some actual wrestling from actual fucking wrestlers. But we got The Elite versus The Dark Order. And representing The Dark Order was Alex Reynolds and John Silver and Hangman Adam Page in the finals to crown the first ever AEW World Trios Champions. This match was a fucking disgrace. The only positive that came out of this match was for the first time in this whole fucking abysmal, pathetic excuse for a wrestling tournament, we actually saw wrestlers tag in and out. Holy shit, there was tagging. I was in a state of fucking shock when I saw an actual fucking tag take place in this goddamn match. Hangman Adam Page was the only person that made this match even remotely watchable. And hes I honestly believe he's the only reason the Dark Order made to the finals. Otherwise, it would have been the Elite versus the Best Friends. Which we all thought that's what that match was going to be because it's one jack-off team versus another jack-off team. And, of course, as we all know, obviously, you know, Sissy Boy and the Blunder Twins, they won the fucking titles. Why did they win the fucking titles? Because it's the fuck, because they're EVPs. 
who can't manage a fucking target. And in case you're wondering, yes, I did see the CM Punk press conference. Uh, Elvis begged me to watch that video. And when I heard CM Punk rip these motherfuckers apart, it brought me so much joy that he called these guys out on all their bullshit to the point where they were so angry. One or two of them threatened to quit. And I think I speak for every true dedicated wrestling fan on the planet when I say, fucking go, get the fuck out of this business before you continue to desecrate it. Because now everybody is starting to see the elite for what they truly are. Immature children who do fake shit in a wrestling ring that are incapable of getting a crowd emotionally invested. They're incapable of being believable in anything they do. And there's nothing tough or badass about any of them. They are worthless pieces of fucking shit. And if they're the ones who, cl they claim they started this company, but if they did, it explains why it's such a shit show right now. Because the elite have failed in everything else. This trios thing is designed to give these three children something to play with so they can go be cuckolds in a little fucking corner while the real wrestlers do the real wrestling. And the people who actually draw fucking money and are worth a damn in this business can do just that. Draw money and be worth a damn in this business. Because the harsh reality is these three guys don't draw dick. Never have, never will. The only reason these sons of bitches are even remotely fucking likable is because they rebelled against Vince McMahon. And anyone who rebels against Vince McMahon is instantly loved. Well, here's the harsh reality for them. Vince McMahon is gone. He retired. He's done. Triple H is now running the creative and Stephanie is now running the company. Stephanie's handling the business. Triple H is handling the wrestling. That's exactly the way it should be. Because Triple H is better at the wrestling. Stephanie's better at the corporate shit. So let them do their own things in that regard. And WWE will be back to prosperity again as far as wrestling goes. Because as a business, they're thriving. They've always been thriving. But now they're earning the trust back of the fans and the wrestlers. And that's a scary moment for AEW. Because as I've mentioned before, they are now the home of sports entertainment. And yeah, I say that to be funny, but it's true. They're the new home of sports entertainment. These are guys who have failed to deliver on the promise that they made when they found when this company started three years ago. Because the truth is, Cody was the real mastermind. And you can see that. They promised to deliver a sports-based product. This has been anything but. They said, unlike WWE, we're not going to give you stupid, goofy comedy bullshit. What do these dumb fucks do every week? Stupid comedy bullshit. Whether it's from them or the Dark Order or the Best Friends, all they do is stupid bullshit that nobody can believe in, nobody can get invested in, and they're a fucking joke. This was shit. Like I said, the only thing remotely watchable was seeing Hangman Adam Page lock up with these guys again. And it's shit like this that makes me not want to watch wrestling anymore. But then I see good shit like what happens later in the show that keeps me coming back. And the fact that Punk called them out on all their bullshit and it's gotten to the point where even Elvis Delinsky, the man who has preached AEW from day one, who drank the Kool-Aid right out of Kenny Omega's jock strap, 
Even he told me today that even he is turning his back on the elite now that they've been exposed for being the spoiled, bratty, immature children that they are. Because they think they're good because they're around their friends who aren't a threat to them. But then when someone comes in like FTR or CM Punk or John Moxley or Chris Jericho, who's actually a threat to them because they're better than them in every aspect of life, in the ring, out of the ring. They're better wrestlers. They're better men. I'll bet they're better family men. They can't handle it. This is a predictable match that was a waste of everyone's fucking time. And I hope Punk pisses them off to the point where they do leave. Because AEW will be a better place without these idiots. And deep down, Tony Khan knows that. That's why he doesn't allow them to have as much power as they used to. Anyway, I'm going to get off this topic because I want to move on. But I had to get that shit off my chest. We're going to move on to the next match of the evening. If we even want to call it that. For the TBS Championship, we got Jay Cargill with the baddies. Defends the title against the falling goddess Athena. I'm gonna say this. This match was, it was okay. This match was very boring. I think it was definitely a cool down match after the stupid shit we saw earlier, but this match didn't really deliver. I think Jade, I know Jade was trying to look like She-Hulk because She-Hulk's real popular now on Disney Plus, but it just looked weird. It looked stupid, the outfit, the green paint. Plus busting through the brick wall, it looked half-ass. And you know, Athena's wings thing, she looked kind of cool and you know, they tried to have an okay match, but it was just, it felt like a filler match. It didn't feel like this match got, I didn't feel it from them. I didn't feel like I saw a fight. I didn't feel like I saw a match. I felt like I just saw a tryout. I've seen Jade Cargill have better matches. I've seen Athena have better matches. They don't click well together in the ring. And also, Athena should have won. At this point, Jay Cargill has run through every credible fucking woman on this roster to the point where they brought in women who are, who are credible enough to beat her and still lose. It's like, who the fuck else is going to take this title from her? I mean, unless you're waiting to give it to Britt Baker so you can keep her away from the other women's title, I don't really know what the fuck else you can do here. But this match was just not interesting at all. And then Alex Marvez interviews CM Punk as he arrives at the building and asks if he's 100%. Punk admits he's not, but says he's never been 100% going into a fight and says that Moxie isn't just facing him. He's facing all of Chicago. It was an okay promo, but I didn't feel like we needed to have this. I don't think we need to talk. I felt like the promo Punk cut on Dynamite was all we needed. We don't need all this extra shit. You can just cut that out. Just have them get to the ring. The time for talk is over. So I thought that was a waste of time. It wasn't a bad promo just a waste of time and on that note we move on to the next match of the evening we got ourselves a trios match wardlow and ftr versus jay lethal and the motor city machine guns with satnam singh and sanjay dutt this was a very good match i enjoyed this um, I will admit, I felt that Wardlow sold a little more than he should have, but even though that was the case, it didn't really take away from the match, especially since Jay Lethal is a legit, you know, top guy in wrestling and the Motor City Machine Guns are an incredible tag team. 
you know, hell, they're definitely a tough tag team. They're one of only two tag teams to ever kick out of the 3D, which is not easy to do. And also, FTR had a great match with them. Like, this is one of those things where if the FTR was ever to have a tag title match with the Motor City Machine Guns, that would be kick-ass. Like, like right now, FTR in belt-collecting mode. I would love it if the Motor City Machine Guns ever won the Impact Tag Titles, brought them here, and then FTR would win the Impact Tag Titles. And maybe they would do something where they could make appearances on Impact Wrestling, assuming they still want to have that working relationship with AEW. And I don't see why they wouldn't, since AEW's still on primetime, you know, cable TV, and Impact isn't. But overall, I love this match. And I thought it was very, very well done. So, loved it. Uh, Dax putting Shelly in the sharpshooter was great. Wardlow dominating. Um, It was just great. And I will say it was great seeing Sanjay Dutt wearing a shirt mocking uh, Dax's daughter. I didn't even catch that until I saw it. It's like, because he had a shirt that said, wrestle like an eight-year-old brat instead of girl. Because that's basically from the promo that uh, Dax Harwood cut in, actually he was here when AEW was in Atlanta. He mentioned how there was this eight-year-old girl with a really bad heart condition who, you know, overcame all these odds and is now healthy today. And he said, that's my little girl, my daughter, and she's a brave tough eight-year-old girl and he said this Sunday uh, this Sunday I think it was Sunday or Saturday against the Briscoes I'm gonna fight like an eight-year-old girl and we all kind of laughed because it sounded funny but he was basically trying to say my daughter is tough and I'm gonna be as tough as her when I get inside that ring so Sanjay Dutt wearing the shirt was great it got him heat which is what he needed uh and then of course you know after the match uh, you know, FTR hits the big rig, um, and then eventually, um, Warlow hits the powerbomb symphony on lethal. They get the one, two, three, and Wardlow and FTR win. Uh, and then, of course, after the match, the heels go to attack the baby faces again. But Samoa Joe makes his return and cleans house. And then Dax's daughter runs out and breaks Sanjay's pencil. FTR lays him out, and then she puts his foot on his chest. And they count one, two, three, and the crowd goes nuts. Now, normally, I wouldn't enjoy moments like that. But because this happened after the match, and Sanjay Dutt is more of a manager, and he got knocked out by FTR, not by the girl, by the actual daughter. So it doesn't it doesn't make Sanjay Dutt look like a pussy. And it, it's something that happened after the match. So it's a nice little, you know, fun moment for the crowd. So I fucks with it. I'm okay with it. I'm fine with it. Because now, if they had done this during the match, I, I'd have been like, this is fucking stupid. But because the match is already over, and this is just a post-match moment, I'm okay with it. So they, FTR, you know, this match, they get a pass. But overall, like I said, brutal match, insane chemistry with these tag teams six-man teams and definitely got me motivated to want to see more ftr and uh, motor city machine guns in the future and definitely wardlow versus jay lethal in fact if at any point wardlow was ready to go for the world title i would want jay lethal to be the one to take the tnt title off of wardlow mostly because i felt jay lethal should have got this a long fucking time ago and on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening. We got Absolute Ricky Starks versus Powerhouse Hobbs. Great match, shitty finish. Best way I can describe this. 
I thought these guys put on one hell of a fight. Starks brought the fight. Hobbs eventually, you know, with a power move, slows it down. And that's what needs to happen. You know, Ricky Starks needs to come in like a house of fire. And Powerhouse Hobbs is supposed to cut him off. Not just because he's the heel, but because he's the powerhouse. Slow things down. Get the pacing going. And most importantly, register what's going on in the ring. That's why it's important to slow things down. That's why you hear so many legends telling these guys who bounce around the ring like fucking ping pong balls. Guys, slow the fuck down. Not just for your safety, but also let the, give the audience time to register what happened. Give us time to process the moves you're doing. Give us a moment to praise or boo, to cheer, get the heat, get the shine. It's all in the pacing. And they were eventually able to slow things down. The only problem is, Hobbs goes for a powerbomb, Stark splits on his feet, runs into a spine buster, and gets pinned one, two, three. Ricky Stark should have won this fucking match. Why Powerhouse Hobbs got the win, I will never understand it. And I also don't understand why they keep, every time Ricky Stark gets hot, they kill it. They cool it off. Literally, Ricky Starks is one of the top guys in AEW. This guy is definitely on the fast track to becoming an AEW world champion. I wouldn't mind seeing him with the TNT title for a bit before he gets there, but he's definitely world championship material. He's on the road to it. He is definitely the future of this business and of this company. One of the future of this company. But when you keep doing awful booking, awful decisions, and lackluster matches, it's stupid. Especially when you have a match that's supposed to be, hey, motherfucker, you stabbed me in the back. I expected more violence. Like I said, it was a good match, but it could have been way better. Way fucking better. And it, the finish disappointed, but everything else was good until that point. And on that note, we're going to move on to the next match of the evening for the AEW World Tag Team Titles. Swerve in our glory. Defend the titles against the acclaimed with Billy Gunn. This match was very, very well done. I enjoyed the chemistry of both teams. The Acclaimed did a, had a lot of great moments. Swerve in Our Glory had a lot of great moments. These guys definitely know how to tag team wrestle. Um, I would have to say the only issue I'm having is I think the whole scissor me daddy ass is getting stupid. I mean, obviously it's over with the crowd. They're loving it, but I still think it's kind of dumb. It's still kind of weird to see Billy Gunn with the Acclaimed, but they're trying to make it work. But I will say the master class of this was the knee injury. The fact that they mentioned how... Anthony Bowens is injury proof and they attacked that injured knee that kept putting him on the sidelines so much. Like, he injured his knee more than Rey Mysterio. And the storytelling with that was phenomenal. And Swerve and Lee played into heel roles that the fans made them too. It was very good. I mean, they are definitely showing an indication that Swerve and Our Glory are quickly becoming like the heels and the acclaimed are quick, quickly becoming the baby faces, especially with Max Caster putting on killer raps every week and doing a great job, you know, in the ring. Like I said, the scissoring thing is the only thing I don't like. And I didn't like the fact they did it in the middle of the match. To me, it's like when I would see the best friends hug in the middle of a match. I thought that was fucking stupid. And I think this is fucking stupid. If you're going to do this scissor crap, do it during your entrance or do it after you win a match. Don't do it during. Because it looks stupid during the match when you're supposed to be trying to win. 
And that's how I honestly felt about this. It was just, like I said, it was solid tag team wrestling with a few stupid moments that didn't need to be there. But overall, these guys crushed it. Keith Lee with his amazing, you know, big man moves, throwing guys around the ring, hitting those big chops like Big Show, Swerve kind of being the, um, you know, a little bit of a cruiserweight kind of thing. And then Caster and Bowens being kind of like brawlers a little bit. They're not doing a lot of the goofy shit. You know, these guys worked very well together. And I felt the acclaim should have went over. Of course, the end, Swerve and Our Glory get the pin, and they get booed out of the building. Because I felt like this was the acclaim's night. The acclaim deserved these titles, because they are the most over-tag team in the company. Okay, you know what? Let me rephrase that. They're the second most over-team in the company. FTR is first. Sorry, I need to rephrase that. But they are insanely over. They're homegrown talents, and they deserve the belts. So I like Swerve in Our Glory, but I'm not feeling them as the tag champs. And I feel like they only got those belts because the Bucks were didn't have the balls to drop them to FTR. And then, of course, after the match, Lee and Gunn do the scissoring thing to kind of show respect. But Swerve doesn't do anything, and he just leaves. Obviously, Lee follows with him because he's a tag team, but it left a lot of confusion because now we can't tell. Is there respect? Is there not respect? Is this feud going to continue? Where the fuck do we go? And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. A fatal four-way match for the interim AEW World Women's Championship. Hikaru Shida versus Dr. Britt Baker with Rebel versus Tony Storm. That ass, Tony Storm versus Jamie Hayter. All right, this match was fan-fucking-tastic. It was. These women put on a wrestling clinic on a show that had a lot of epic fails. This was a fantastic moment for the women to fucking shine. And damn it, if they didn't shine bright like a diamond in this show. It was great. Especially the dissension between Baker and Hater when it when they realized, holy shit, Hater actually wants to win the title. You know, Hater gets pissed at one point at Baker because uh, Hater knocks Storm to the floor, hits a ripcord lariat on Sheeta, goes for the cover, Baker pulls the referee out, Hater gets pissed at Baker, but Storm drops her with Storm Zero. Baker knocks Storm out of the ring, covers Hater one, two, no, she kicks out. Storm spikes Baker with a DDT and then drops Hater with one for the pin. And that's how Tony Storm becomes the new interim AEW Women's Champion. And this gives me a clear indication that I think Tony Storm was supposed to win in her match against Thunder Rosa. But now that Thunder Rosa is out of action and Tony Storm is the interim champion, what they can do is have, you know, Tony keep the belt until uh, Rosa makes her way back. And then if she can make it back by full gear, then I would say at full gear, have the unification match or try to drag it out until a pay-per-view to bring her back. So if she can make it back by full gear, have the, have the match at full gear. If she can't, then let her sit at home till revolution. Give Tony Storm a different contender for full gear. Have her beat that person, you know, have a good run. And then when her and Thunder Rosa lock up, then you can have the unification match. And if I may be so bold to say, I would have Tony Storm win that and let Tony have the run with the belt. Because clearly, she is over. Not that Thunder Rosa isn't, but, Thund but since Thunder Rosa has a lot of heat on her right now, I think it's time for her to drop the belt. And I would let Tony have the run with it because Tony Storm deserves this. After all the bullshit she went through in 
WWE, from NXT to, to the main roster, being forced to job to a spoiled cunt like Charlotte Flair, to see Tony Storm finally get the recognition she deserves, finally get a belt around her waist that she fucking deserves to have, was amazing. It made this whole fucking show worth it just to see Tony Storm with that women's title. And the fact that all these women put up one hell of a fight. Jamie Hayter, it was the best I'd ever seen her. Britt Baker always brings her A-game. And Hikaru Shida, one of the few Japanese wrestlers who doesn't make me angry. Fucking loved every second of this. This was probably, this would have been my favorite match of the night if another match didn't deliver. But this match was great. Definitely one of the best women's matches in AEW I've seen in a long time. The women are stepping their game up and I am giving them all the credit in the world for that. And of course, the dissension between Hater and Baker, I'm sure we're going to see that in the coming weeks. And then speaking of Full Gear, they announced that for Newark, New Jersey on November 19th is going to be Full Gear. So we'll uh, be able to check that out and uh, have some fun with that. I can't wait for Full Gear. I look forward to seeing what happens there. And then we're going to move on now to the next match of the evening, if we even want to call it that. The Instant Classic. Christian Cage versus Jungle Boy Jack Perry. Where do I fucking begin? Not only is this probably the worst match of the entire fucking night, but it is the biggest epic fail I have ever fucking seen from AEW. And there has been a lot of epic fails. A lot. Basically, here's what the fuck happens. Christian approaches Jungle Boy's family at ringside and his mom slaps Christian. Luchasaurus appears behind Jungle Boy and choke slams him onto the stage. Luchasaurus powerbombs Jungle Boy through a table and then tosses him into the ring. The referee checks on Jungle Boy and wants to call the match off, but Perry refuses. The bell rings and Christian spears him. One, two, no, Perry kicks out. Christian immediately drops him with the unprettier. One, two, three. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, a squash. This match that they've been building up for fucking months. The emotion. The anger, the rage, the contempt, the disdain that both these men have for each other that we have seen with Christian talking about Jack Perry's dead father, Luke Perry. Christian talking about wanting to bang his mom. Talking about how his mom raised a fucking loser. Jungle Boy calling Christian a pussy. Saying how his wife wife left his sorry ass and then telling his, his ex-wife to call him so that he can... Try to bang his ex-wife. And then all this violent shit. We get, we finally get to the pay-per-view. We finally get to the ultimate showdown on the ultimate show. And this is what the fuck you deliver on? And And I don't know what pissed me off more. This or Desmond's explanation. As he tried to justify to me this a fucking abortion. He tried to justify this shit to me. Here's how goddamn ridiculous it got. Gator was blowing up my phone during this pay-per-view, which I've told Gator a million fucking times. Don't you fucking call me during a pay-per-view. But he's like, but Mission Picture Reality, it's AEW. It's the shitty. It doesn't matter. And I'm like, I don't care what it is. During a pay-per-view, the booch does not accept phone calls. You want to talk to me while a pay-per-view is on, you text me or you go via messenger. You can DM me on social media. You can text me if you have my phone number. But under no circumstances are you to call me. If you call my number and I answer and you're not bleeding or on fire, I'm going to dog cuss you if you call me during a pay-per-view. 
and I am not fucking around. And I ended up dog cussing Gator. I damn near dog cussed Zach. It got so bad that one of Desmond's sisters was watching the show with us. I had to apologize to her for all these disturbing moments. For people fucking bothering us during this goddamn show. Because they all wanted to complain about this. Desmond's the only one defending this shit. And it was the worst defense. Here's what he had to say. He went, well, they want to continue the feud. And it's not about the win. They want to emphasize the heel turn of Luchasaurus. Now, let me tell you why. This is a retarded statement from Desmond. And I don't say this often about what Desmond says. I try not to insult him. Even though insults is where he likes to go sometimes, I try to get away from it. But I'm sorry, that was fucking retarded. And I'm going to tell you why it was retarded. Because you're basically trying to tell me that they wasted a perfectly good opportunity to end this feud by doing a heel turn that should have already fucking happened to continue a feud that has no business continuing. What the fuck else are you possibly going to do with Christian Cage and Jack Perry? Please explain. I would love to hear somebody tell me why this feud should continue and what the fuck else they can say or do to each other. You did a heel turn that pretty much already fucking happened. They already joined forces when Christian taught Luchasaurus out of not fucking destroying him. And then Luchasaurus became the monster you know, dinosaur heel that was dominant and badass and was dark and wasn't pretending to be a, a I identify as a dinosaur and I got a, a PhD or whatever the fuck he said on being the elite. They actually were making him a badass and a fucking monster with Christian being able to speak for him because Luchasaurus doesn't need to talk. And then what do they do? They put him back on Jungle Boy's side for no fucking reason whatsoever. They just did it and killed the whole damn thing. But Jungle Boy was still going out there, still trying to get his revenge, still going in there. And then they decide, oh, no, 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 wait. We want to make him heal and do it all out. That was fucking stupid. Should have just let him be a heel. Here's what should have happened. Let me tell you exactly what the fuck should have happened. Luchasaurus turned heel right when he did, when Christian made his announcement on why he turned on Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy's all by himself. He has to fight against Christian. He wants Christian it all out. Christian doesn't want to fight him. So he says, okay, get in the ring with Luchasaurus. You beat Luchasaurus, you get me it all out. Because let me tell you something. Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus is not a money drawing match in any way, shape, or form. That's a match you can put on free TV. No one's going to give a fuck. And then he beats Luchasaurus. He gets Christian it all out. They have to match it all out. And Jungle Boy goes over on Christian. And you make Jungle Boy the top guy in the company. Or one of the top guys in the company. Everybody keeps preaching about Jungle Boy is one of the four pillars of AEW. Our four pillars are there's Jungle Boy, there's 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 Darby Allen, there's MJF, and I can't remember the other one. I think it's Pockets, whatever the fuck. You finally can have people take you seriously when you say Jungle Boy is a pillar. He ain't a fucking pillar. Out of the four guys they mentioned, MJF is the only fucking pillar. Jungle Boy is a good wrestler who has the potential to be a star. Darby Allen's a fucking stunt man. And Orange Cassidy's a fucking joke. He's an embarrassment to the business. And what do they do? They give us this shit. And that's what should have happened. But then, okay, now they want to go this route. Here's what should have happened at All Out. Now they want to go like this, you know? You got the referee saying, I can call this off. I can call this off. And Jungle Boy's like, no, no, I'm going to do it. Ring the bell, ring the bell, ring the bell, ring the bell. And, and even while he was pulling himself back up, he rings the bell. Christian hits that spear. One, two, he kicks out. Christian goes for the unprettier. I, I would have had Jungle Boy kick out of that. 
One, two, not enough. Or if you don't want him to kick out of the unprettier, have him like fight his way out. He pushes him off or something happens. He counters it. You know, maybe he counters it into a roll up. One, two, Christian kicks out. Christian puts a beating on Jungle Boy. He's getting his heat, he's getting his heat, he's getting his heat. Jungle Boy finds the strength to fight back. The crowd's going nuts. Oh, 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 They're getting on his side. Jungle Boy, Jungle Boy, or Jack Perry, Jack Perry, Jack Perry. Jungle Boy gets the strength from the crowd, feeds off the energy of the audience. He gets up, he fights back like a house of fire. He's got, and he just, and he hits his finisher, whatever the fuck it is, I can't remember because I never see, I rarely see him hit it. One, two, three, he beats Christian Cage. Jungle Boy celebrates. And the crowd's waving their hands. Oh, 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 and Jungle Boy has his moment, his moment in the sun. Jungle Boy defeated Christian, avenged his father, avenged his mother, avenged himself for being stabbed in the back by Christian. And then he shows up on Dynamite or Rampage, if you feel like enough shit's going on on Dynamite. And you have Jack Perry say, I got my revenge. I'm done with Christian. You kind of have Christian get him off TV for a while. He don't need to work. And then you have Jungle Boy set his sights on Luchasaurus. I got my revenge on Christian. Now I want my revenge on Luchasaurus. And you build Jungle Boy versus Luchasaurus for full gear. That's what you should have done. That is money. But instead, you have Christian Cage win now. And so what are we supposed to do? Have a rematch at full gear and Jack Perry wins there? All Out is the is a bigger show than full gear. I'm sorry, but it is. This was the moment. Because now you want to continue this feud. What the fuck else are you going to do? There's nothing left to give. The cup has runneth over. There's nothing left to wring out of the towel. The car is out of gas. She's bone dry. There's nothing left in this feud. You've gone as far as you can go. It's like sex. You got to the climactic moment. The orgasm was disappointing. And now you're basically just creating friction for the sake of creating friction. You know, it's like when you're on top of a girl and you're banging her and you think she's enjoying it, but really you're just leaning on her tit about to rip it off. And that's why she's screaming. She's not screaming from the good dick. She's screaming because you're leaning on her tit about to rip it off her fucking body. That's where we're at with this feud. It's just friction and noise. You've done everything you can. Now the audience wants to just eat a sandwich and go to sleep. Waste of time. Couldn't be more disappointed. And then we get cut to the backstage area. We got... You know, Death Triangle and the best friends are doing some type of bullshit here. Talking about, you know, I guess they're having another match or whatever. But the only good thing about this was Danhausen. Danhausen saved what was a shitty, retarded backstage interview. Yeah. Yes, yes, Danhausen here. Very nice. Very evil. Very famous. Very elite. Um, sorry, I am uh, interrupting the show here uh, for the Boochhausen. Uh, mostly because uh, Danhausen wants to get something off of his chest. Yes, uh, I've not been on the uh, the cast of Booch in quite some time. The uh, Booch cast Housen. And I, uh, da- Danhausen needs to address something really quick. Um, a few weeks back on uh, the Dynamites, uh, it was Danhausen's birthday. Happy birthday to Danhausen. Uh, and uh, not only was I not given any uh, birthday cakes or birthday soups or birthday ice creams, but also I wasn't even on Dynamite. Therefore, I let you announce right now here on the Booch cast Housen, 
that uh, the TK, the Tony Khans, will forever be cursed. I curse Tony Khan for not celebrating Danhausen's birthday in a proper way. You will be cursed. And of course, I had to help uh, the best friends who are going up against the, uh, the Death Triangles. Yes. And um, hopefully some of you will tune in to, uh, to see the feud. Yes. Uh, uh, some of you will not. And uh, I understand. So Denhausen understands completely. So I will uh, I will now let uh, the, the Boochhausen get back to his recap. So until next time, thank you for supporting Denhausen. Yes, uh, thank you, Denhausen. You can leave now. And um, on that note, we're going to move on here to the next match of the evening. We got Lionheart Chris Jericho versus American Dragon Brian Danielson. I love this match. This was a master class of pro wrestling. If you're listening to this podcast right now, let me let me make this clear to everybody out there. If you're listening and you're an aspiring pro wrestler, whether you're currently enrolled in wrestling school or you're trying to find one, watch this match to learn how to do it right. Two of the best technical wrestlers in the history of pro, of pro wrestling put on a wrestling fucking clinic. Jericho literally went back to his WCW days in this match. Like, he did phenomenal, you know? When he got frustrated, he would get mad and throw chairs around like he used to as a heel. Uh, at one point, uh, Danielson went for a Frankenstein, and Jericho blocked it and dropped down into the Lion Tamer like he used to do with Rey Mysterio Jr. when they would wrestle. I mean, like I said, it was a master class. Danielson, you know, trying to hit every submission he can get. Jericho countering with a submission of his own. Uh, Danielson puts Jericho in a near bar. Jericho reverses into a guillotine. Danielson escapes. Elbows Jericho repeatedly. Puts him in a cross arm breaker. Jericho rolls over and elbows Dragon ahead to break it before hitting a rushing leg sweep. Transitions some kind of into an octopus submission. Danielson rolls him into a stretch muffler. I mean, he transitions into a death lock. He rolls Jericho over for into a near fall, but a pissed off Jericho lights him up with chops. I mean, these guys went to fucking war. I mean fucking war. I can't remember the last time I saw a wrestling match this fucking fluid. And the best part is everything made sense. There was no wasted movement. There was nothing fake. There were no stupid spots for the sake of doing stupid spots. Everything was timed. Everything was perfect. Everything made sense. And in the end, they also went for a dragon sleeper. Jericho low blowed him where the ref couldn't see. Hit the Judas effect. One, two, three. Jericho wins. Now, obviously this plays into the story they're telling with the Jericho Appreciation Society. And that's why I love the fact that Jericho won. Now, some people felt that Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson shouldn't have lost this match. Here's the thing. This match was so damn good, I wouldn't have cared who won either way. This match could have gone either fucking way. It really could have. It was that damn good. It was so fucking good. I, I didn't, it was one of those matches where I didn't care who won at that point. As long as the finish didn't suck and it didn't, I was fine. Obviously, I'm okay with the low blow. Jericho's a heel. And he hit the Judas effect, which other than Moxley, no one's kicked out of. So it was a great match. A phenomenal fucking match. Both these guys proved they're the two of the best in the world. And obviously, Jericho's the former a, a former AEW world champion. Love to see him hold that belt again. And Brian Danielson's definitely showing that he deserves to be the AEW world champion in the future. So this was the match of the night. Not to take that back. It wasn't the match of the night. It was the second match of the night. This is the one match that did better than the women. Because the women was number three. This is number two. We're going to get to number one a little later. But again, if the first match had shit the bed, if the first match of the night had shit the bed, this would have been number one. 
Definitely. And I, I look forward to seeing what happens in the future. And of course, before the match, they had Danielson's entrance music played by Elliot Taylor, who was shirtless for some reason. He's one of those guys that's like, he is way too skinny to, to take his damn shirt off and try to look sexy or whatever. But, and also, everyone's in agreement on the internet. Elliot Taylor's a shitty fucking singer. That was a horrible fucking performance that didn't need to fucking happen. Seriously. Some some of these singers, some of these guys really can't fucking sing. They really can't. I hope this guy doesn't, I hope if this guy sells tickets to concerts and people actually go, you must be that, you must be desperate for a night out if you're buying tickets to see Elliot Taylor. This guy's garbage. I put him right up there with Bad Bunny as shitty performer. And on that note, we cut to the next match of the evening. We got some six-man tag team action. The House of Black with Julia Hart versus the Redeemer, Miro, Darby Allin, and the Icon, Sting. This was decent. I wasn't on the edge of my seat, but it was a fun match where everyone got a chance to shine and shine in their own way. You know, obviously the House of Black, they got their offense in and did okay, but it's the same shit they always do. And it, it just, the House of Black has never been appealing to me. It's just not. I'm not a fan of this faction. I, I think they're I think they're goofy, and I just, I can't take what they do seriously. And Buddy Matthews, to me, is, was, and will always be a jobber. I can't take what he does seriously. And, of course, we already know how I feel about Darby Allen, the, the glorified stuntman who's got uh, the personality of an emo kid. That's why I always call him Emo Knievel. And he has the physique of a stem cell. I'm just, you know, his coffin drop is not that great. And the only time it looked good was when it followed Sting, Scorpion, Death Drop, and then he went into the coffin drop. That was a good combo right there. And I think that should be something like if Sting and Darby Allen ever decide to become tag team champions, I would like that to be their finish. Sting hits the Scorpion Death Drop. He follows with the Coffin Drop. One, two, three. I thought it would have been great. And if they were going to win, I felt that could have been the finish. Although, granted, the finish in this match wasn't that bad either, where Black goes for the Black Mask, but Sting ends up spitting a mist in his face, and Allen puts him in the Last Supper for the pin. And at first, we were kind of sitting there going, what the fuck? But apparently, there wasn't enough color to the mist to where Sting spit it out. You couldn't even see what he was doing. It looked like he breathed on him. It wasn't until you eventually saw Malachi Black's face was completely covered in black. Then eventually they zoomed in on Sting. You could tell he had some extra black that wasn't normal black around his lips and a little bit on his tongue. And that's when you realized, holy shit, he's actually, you know, spraying a mist. Then when we saw the replay and they zoomed in a little closer, you can kind of see the mist coming out in slow motion. But because there wasn't enough color and oomph to it, you didn't really see it. So to me, that was that part was kind of a buzzkill. You know, I don't think the mist meant to go that way. But I will say, it's great to see Sting changing his game up a little bit, even at his age. Because the guy's in his 60s. He could easily go out there and do the same shit he always does. But the fact that he's starting to do, like, you know, spitting mist, you know, like like Muda, and also trying to do uh, balcony jumps like New Jack. Like, Sting's really showing he belongs and showing he can still go. And I love seeing that from him. So, Sting, it's hard for Sting to disappoint me. I even like him using the Scorpion Deathlock, and they all tried to knock him out, but Sting refused to let go until Black reversed it into a knee bar. I thought that was really good. Uh, Desmond didn't like the fact that Sting was no-selling, but I'm so used to seeing Sting no-sell during some of these classic WCW pay-per-view reviews that I've now understood it's just his gimmick. At some point, Sting just psychs himself up. It's like Hogan hulking up or Kane or Foley getting hit with a chair. They're just impervious to the pain. 
and somehow it works for their particular gimmick. So that part didn't bother me too much. Especially as it looked like Sting was technically selling because he was getting a little weaker. He just wasn't dropping. He just wasn't falling on his ass or dropping to the floor. It was just kind of loosening things up so Black could reverse into the knee bar and hold that in there until eventually, you know, they break it up. But I got to say this. Miro definitely came to fucking play. I loved seeing the Redeemer because Miro, he's one of those guys that deserves so much fucking better in this company. And the fact that he is being treated the way he has since coming to AEW has been disgusting. From the best man and doing video game shit to wearing the Mickey Mouse shirt to eventually getting his manhood back to, you know, being the TNT champion but then losing it too fast or being in the World Title Eliminator Tournament and getting eliminated when he took Moxley's place because Moxley was fucking injured. And instead of having Miro, like, dominate the damn thing or at least make it to the finals, they just eliminate him fast, you know? It's almost getting to the point where it looks like Miro might be better off going back to WWE, especially with Triple H back in charge. Because that's what people, Tony Khan needs to understand. There's a lot of guys who have considered going back to WWE but were afraid to go back under Vince McMahon. Now that Triple H is at the helm, some people in AEW might feel more comfortable going to WWE because they trust Triple H with their careers over Vince McMahon. So there's certain people Tony's going to have to start treating a little better if he wants to keep them around. And on that note, we cut to the backstage area where we see Daniel Garcia talking to Chris Jericho, who says he let him down for cheating tonight. So that's why he wasn't part of the JAS celebration. But Jericho says Garcia let him down too by not being by his side and by, you know, not being part of the celebration. So Garcia says that this coming Wednesday on Dynamite, he's going to get a shot at the Ring of Honor pure title. But Jericho says he has to do it without the JAS in his corner. Now, just to clarify, he has not kicked Daniel Garcia out of the JAS, and he even went as far as to say he is confident that Daniel Garcia is going to win, but he's not going to have the JAS in his corner, which means if the Blackpool Combat Club decides to interfere, Garcia's going to have to fight off the Blackpool Combat Club all by himself. He is all alone. Now, I don't see the Blackpool Combat Club interfering in this match, but on the off chance they decide to be like, you know what, fuck being the babyface team, we're going to do whatever we want, and blah, 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 that could happen. But still, the JAS is not going to be involved, and I'm intrigued to see where this goes. I mean, I don't really care about the Ring of Honor pure title, and seeing Daniel Garcia and Wheeler Useless fight for this belt means nothing to me, but as far as I'm concerned, I think Daniel Garcia should win it. I think Garcia is a better wrestler, he has a better personality, he has a better chance of being a star than Wheeler Useless. Because like I said before, he's fucking useless. He has no personality, and in the Blackpool Combat Club, he's basically the guy that's there to eat the pin if they lose. Because this faction is packed with stars, and Wheeler Yuta is lost in the sauce. So, it'll be a great wrestling match. But that's all we're going to get. And then, of course, they also announced that this Wednesday on Dynamite, we're going to see Death Triangle versus the Best Friends. And it's going to be a six-man tag from hell. That So there's two matches already booked that I'm not excited about. And I don't really give a shit about any either one of these two matches. The only thing I'm intrigued to hear about is what's going to happen with Christian and Cage and Jungle Boy and the aftermath of the next match we're about to get into, which is the main event of the evening for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. The Death Rider, John Moxley, defends the title against the best in the world. 
CM Punk. This was a stellar main event. This match more than made up for the clusterfuck we saw the week before. Much more. This gave us exactly what we wanted. Actually, let me rephrase that. Two weeks ago. This is a great match. This is the match we should have gotten. The match that everybody wanted to see at All Out we got. Unfortunately, it wasn't to unify the world titles. Because Moxley already won. So this was basically an AEW World Heavyweight Championship match. And a lot of people, including Jim Ross, were like, why do we even need to see this match? He just got his ass whooped. What's exciting about it? I'll tell you what was exciting about it. Punk's passionate promo that I talked about on the last AEW recap. That match more than made up for all of this. All of it. Literally fucking all of it. It was perfection at the highest level. And I couldn't have been more proud of this match. These two brought the fight to each other. Even at one point early in the match, Punk hit the go to sleep on Moxley and we thought it was over right then and there and Moxley kicked out. And that's the one good thing about that last match ending in three minutes. That's the good thing about having a quick match like that is that when you have this, the rematch, any given moment, you think the match could end. You see somebody hit a finish, you're like, oh my God, we're going to get into the squash match. And no, no, we're not. Moxley ain't going down that easily. And they brought, this This is a great match. They brawled in the crowd and the ref was lenient on the rules. This is one of the rare moments where it's okay for the ref to kind of lean back on the rules because this is a, a big match. A big fight feel. These are the type of matches where it's okay for the referee to kind of bend the rules a little bit. Because it's like, look, this is the money maker. This is a, this is a real match with real stakes. And it's on pay-per-view. We can't end this in a double count out. We can't end this in a disqualification. We gotta have a winner. Because this is a big fucking deal. The only problem is when in every single match which is what we see a lot of in AEW and what we saw quite a bit in the first two ma- in the first two matches of the pay-per-view when the referees just don't give a fuck in general it, it it takes away from great moments like this like punk getting busted open and Moxley licking the blood off his hand I'm surprised he doesn't have fucking AIDS. That shocks the hell out of me with the way he does this shit. But, you know, and that was funny because Punk said, you're not going to drink my blood. Well, he just did it right there. So he proved Punk wrong on that one. And, you know, Monty locking in the uh, the half Boston crab and then transitioning to the STF and then into an ankle lock. That was great. Again, the wrestling, the brawling, the submissions, the emotion. You know, Moxie hitting that dragon leg, dragon screw leg whip for the then locking in the figure four. Punk flipping him off. Eventually releases the hole. Moxie gets that spike pile driver. Like he beat the fuck out of Punk. And then all of a sudden, Punk, Punk's, you know, you know, you know, Moxie gets slams Punk into the ring post, starts stomping Moxie's face, and then in before putting him in an anaconda device. Or actually, no, Moxley slammed Punk. Sorry, the notes I'm reading are fucking confusing. But anyway, Punk had that anaconda device. Moxie rolls over, bites Punk's face to break the hold. Like they these guys were fighting, biting, scratching, clawing. This was a bit. They has fight. You know, there's the bulldog choke. Punk rolls him over, locks in a cross arm breaker. Like, every time you thought this shit was over, it wasn't over. Even when Moxley finally hits the Death Rider, Punk kicks out. Moxley the bulldog choke. Elbows Punk in the face, goes back to the choke. Punk fights to his feet, lifts Moxley up with the GTS. Moxley escapes in the choke again. Punk rolls through, hits the GTS. Moxley falls into the ropes, bounces onto Punk's back, and it looks like he's out. Punk's down on his knees because he's tired, he's exhausted. Exhausted. He's 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 just blood.
blood is gushing from the side of his head all down his face. He is fucking out of it. And then you see him, you see him psych himself up, get that last ounce of strength, puts Moxley on his shoulders, climbs up to his feet, hoists him up, boom, hits that second GTS. One, two, three. And the winner of the match and the new world heavyweight champion, CM Punk, who is now a two-time AEW world champion. The only other man besides Moxley to be a two-time world champion. And it's beautiful, and they're celebrating in Chicago. CM Punk talking about Chicago doesn't die. Chicago is tough, and Chicago gets a victory. The great babyface moment, the triumph of CM Punk, and then the lights go out. And the voicemail, all of a sudden we hear Tony Khan with a voicemail talking about how the repeated absences have been hurting the company. He said the repeated absences have been hurting the company, and it's also hurting the fans. I know you don't care about the fans, but I do. So for the sake of the fans, I'm going to swallow a bitter pill here, and I'm going to give you one final chance to come back. If you show up to All Out, I will put you in the casino ladder match, I won't make you sign an extension, and I will pay you bleep dollars. Basically, X amount of money. He said, this is my final offer, you're not getting a better one. But in order for this to happen, you have to show up at All Out. And then footage of CM Punk's Ring of Honor Devil Himself promo is shown about how you stupid old man, I'm a snake. And the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing people he didn't exist. And then all of a sudden it cuts out. And then we see the Joker with the mask. He then turns his back to the audience, takes the mask off, and he says, I am the devil himself. And then we see the yellow scarf drape across his back. The crowd's going crazy. The lights go out again. All of a sudden, the music hits, and it is Maxwell Jacob Friedman. MJF is back in all elite wrestling. He walks out, basically showing that he was the winner of the Casino Battle Royal. He was the Joker. He comes out on stage, this huge ovation. He motions, he does a little thing where he takes his hands and moves them across his waist, motioning that he wants the world title. He puts his hands up. The crowd is cheering. He then... Gives the middle finger, flips off all the fans. Punk's holding the world title up. And MJF yells at CM Punk and says, That belt is coming home with me. And you'll be damn sure of that. And then we hear, Well, I guess we're going to find out what happens on Dynamite. And it fades to black. Now, I know earlier I gave a lot of shit about the Casino Battle Royal. I still think it was a shitty match. And I would never want to watch it again. But if MJF was going to be the Joker, that was the right way to end it. That way, you don't have to worry about MJF getting injured from some stupid bladder spot with a bunch of untrained spot monkeys. And also, it allows MJF to get a title shot while working a loophole. MJF building himself another faction another group of people to assist him. Since he no longer has the pinnacle, because it's blatantly obvious that FTR has chosen to side with Wardlow, and Wardlow and MJF are on the outs, and Sean Spears is basically nowhere to be fucking found. I think his contract expired. I think he's gone. Which I guess makes sense, because he wasn't really delivering. No disrespect to Sean Spears, but he wasn't. So it looks like MJF has a new faction. The question is, 
what's he going to call this faction? Is it going to be the Pinnacle 2.0? Are they going to be like the Outcasts? Are they going to be whatever they're going to call them? But either way, Stokely Hathaway clearly has these guys in his stable. MJF, The Gun Club, Lee Moriarty, and Big Cass. And, and Stokely Hathaway representing them. And of course, he also represents Jade Cargill and the baddies. So I don't know if they're going to come in and form a mega faction or a mega group in the company. It'll be intriguing to see. But there's a lot of different stories here that can be told. And I kind of like that. So now we know MJF is back. So I got a feeling they're going to build this up to full gear. And I think at full gear, MJF is going to take the World Heavyweight title. Now, obviously, a lot of people are now thinking because MJF is back, oh, this whole thing was a work. It was a work shoot, ladies and gentlemen. Trust me, it was. Because MJF's grievance, and Desmond had to realize this, MJF wasn't angry that he wasn't the top guy, and he wasn't mad that he wasn't the world champion. I'm sure he wants to be the world champion, but MJF is not a mark. He doesn't obsess over being champion like other wrestlers do. He doesn't care about the belt. He cares about the wallet. It's about money. And we said this before, that was MJF's gripe, was he wasn't getting paid what he felt he should be paid for the work that he'd been doing. But here are the facts. As I said before, when MJF was first signed to AEW three years ago, when Tony Khan first gave him a contract, MJF was an absolute nobody. Nobody knew who he was. Nobody cared who he was. Unless you were watching MLW religiously, which a lot, which I wasn't, and neither was half my team or a lot of other people, you didn't know or care about Maxwell Jacob Friedman. You really didn't. He eventually came on to AEW and did everything he said he did. He created moment after moment after moment. He hit grand slams. He got heat like nobody else's business and did fucking phenomenal. And some people were upset that he wasn't making the same, that other people like Jericho and Punk and Moxley and Danielson and everybody were making more money than MJF. MJF wasn't making the same, if not more. But again, here are facts. Jericho can draw. All those guys, Chris Jericho, John Moxley, CM Punk, Brian Danielson, they draw money. Why? Because they were big stars at the big dance. They were mainstream stars. And again, I'm being honest. No one took AEW seriously until Jericho signed a three-year contract. When Jericho showed up at All Elite Wrestling, that's when people started paying attention. Because before it looked like, oh, this is another Cody, Kenny, Young Bucks project that's not going to really go anywhere. Then they got Tony Khan to back them. And it's like, whoa, okay, there's something here. Then you find out Jericho showed up. Look at what? That's what brought eyes. MJF didn't have that. But even though MJF didn't have that, here are the facts. Everybody that Tony Khan signed to a contract, whatever amount of money is on their contract, it is more than they have ever made in their whole careers up until this point. Because before this, they were all working the indie circuit. Some of them were probably working for a hot dog and a handshake. Some of them were probably working for a couple hundred bucks. Because depending on where you are on the card, you don't make much on the indies. Unless you're a big fucking star. Because the big stars, they make more on the indies because they've been on TV. And they're going to put asses in seats and they're worth it. But then there are other guys who are going to make like a couple hundred bucks here and there. But if you've got some, if you've got some name value attached to you, you can make more. You can negotiate. If you got credits to your name and you can draw and you're dependable and you're worth paying the money to. So MJF was making more money in AEW than he ever did anywhere else. But compared to everybody else, it was the big stars, it was not enough. Because he wasn't a big star when he signed. Now, 
when the time came for his contract to expire, which is in 2024, if he decided at that point, hey, I want more money, then you then you can go to Tony Khan and say, look, here's what I've done since I've been here. If you want to keep me, I want more money. Or I'm gonna go see what I'm gonna go see what WWE's gonna pay me. But MJF wanted to jump the gun. So even though MJF's obviously back with the company, and I'm sure he's gonna be cutting more shoot style promos going forward, obviously they agreed to some type of settlement. That's what this means. Tony Khan agreed to some type of settlement with MJF for this feud to continue. Now, whether or not it's enough to keep MJF around past 2024, I don't know. But they definitely agreed to something. There was some type of settlement pay. Here, here's what I'll offer. Take it or leave it. And MJF clearly took it. So we'll see what they got. And then we'll see if when his contract expires, because he's not signing an extension, come and we'll see if he can make some more money in the next go around or if he'll just be brought back for the same amount of money since Tony already gave him a raise. Or if he wants, he can try to talk to WWE and see if they'll offer him more. Because at the end of the day, in the wrestling business, money talks, bullshit walks. Trust me when I tell you. Anybody in the wrestling business that says they're not doing this for the money, it is the biggest fucking lie they will ever tell you. The money is everything to them. Unless they're marks. And that's a direct quote from Scott Steiner. If you ain't thinking about the money, you're a mark. Because they all think about the money. Don't get me wrong. You pay them their money, they'll be professional. They'll go out there, they'll put on a show, they'll, they'll talk to the fans, they love their fans, they love what they do, but the money is important to them. They, have, they talk money before they talk anything else. Once the money's right, then we can get into what you got planned for me. And we can go over that shit. But everybody in the business makes sure their money is right before they move on. And now that MJF's got the money that he wants, or at least as much as he's going to get for now, that's acceptable to him. He's now ready to come back. And like I said before, I think at full gear, we're going to see a new champion. Now, MJF's got a future title shot. He can have whenever he wants. I'll tell you this right now. They better not put this match on fucking free TV. I swear to God. I swear to God. If MJF is the world champion on an episode of Dynamite or Rampage, I will fucking snap. I will shit a brick. I swear to God, if that fucking happens. You better put this on pay-per-view and it better be damn good. It better be, and if it's not at full gear, you better at least do it at Revolution. Depends on how long you want Punk to have that belt for. And I love CM Punk, but if anyone deserves to be a world champion, it's MJF. And I don't think that's something you want to sleep on. Because regardless of how great CM Punk is, MJF is white fucking hot. Even despite the fact he's been off TV for this long. But I say at full gear, you give him the belt, you let him run with it until he can't run no more. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will wrap up this recap of AEW All Out 2022. I thank you guys so much for tuning in. And um, make sure you guys follow the Boochcast. We are on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast, and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash theboochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. Make sure you check out the most recent episode of the Male Soap Opera Moment where Wenz and I gave our predictions for WWE Clash at the Castle. Find out who was right and who was wrong. And of course, a new episode of the Male Soap Opera Moment will be dropping very soon. Uh, we're hoping to record it this week, but it'll be we're going to be dropping that as soon as possible. And that'll be our recap of WWE Clash at the Castle. Uh, the question is, who is the prediction champion, myself or Joey Wensler? You have to watch the Mail Soap Opera Moment to find out, and you will be able to find it soon 
on the Boochcast Facebook page. Also, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Boochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Go to our YouTube channel, check out all of our video content. And of course, hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when future content will be posted. Uh, sadly, I was not able to get the uh, last two episodes of Dark Side of the Ring filmed over the weekend, but I'm hoping to get them done very, very soon. Most likely, I'll be doing them by myself, but either way, we'll be getting them out to you guys very soon on the YouTube channel, as well as some other great projects coming your way very soon. Also, make sure you follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast. That's where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next watch party will be Saturday, November the 26th for WWE Survivor Series. That's right. We'll be getting together for the Survivor Series live at 8 p.m. on Saturday, November the 26th. Uh, we're still trying to work out the kinks on all that, but it will definitely be happening on the 26th. Whether I'm there with the team, the team does it by themselves, or if I do it, or if I do it with uh, some people over at WrestleCade, we'll figure everything out either way join us on twitch.tv slash the boochcast also look be on the lookout for our DD show coming soon our boochcast booking battle as well as another special project that we got in the works that we'll be delivering to you guys once all the kinks are done i got people dragging their feet but we're definitely in the process of making that happen and of course you guys can support the boochcast by going to anchor.fm slash the boochcast slash support become a supporter of the boochcast support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three levels you can donate at. Our first level is 99 cents, $1 per month. This is for people who don't have a lot of money to spend but still want to put a little skin in the game and help us out. Uh, that 99 cents level is for you. Uh, if you got some spending cash, you can go to the second level, which is $4.99, $5 per month. The same amount of money you would pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the Peacock, so don't give them money. Give us money. We get better content than Peacock anyway. And we got the third and final level you can donate at, which is for a mere $9.99, $10. The same amount of money we used to pay for a WWE Network subscription here in the United States. Ever since they sold it the Peacock, you got nowhere to put that $9.99. $9.99, say $9.99, bring it over here. We got better content than the network, and unlike All Elite Wrestling, we are dedicated to the fans, we care about our fans, and are dedicated to giving the people what they want. You not should pay with a credit card or with GPay. Now, the best part is, all the money we raise goes back into the show in some capacity to help it grow. We used to upgrade our equipment. We used to bring in bigger name guests, pay our bills, and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you got a favorite co-host and you believe they're going to be paid for their hard work, anchor.fm slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then if there's any money left over, when it's all said and done, we use the rest to feed Zechariah Scott his ramen noodles, and we try to get him laid. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Booch Cast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby! Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all. Goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. And eat. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. À la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again.